In the 1960s, where rioting was virtually a norm and freedom fighters were asking, who do you turn to when a cop hits you? They weren't thinking about where you turn when an elected official sticks his finger in a voter's chest and shouts, I don't work for you. It's clear we can't count on our elected officials to stand up for what's right. The law, truth, justice. Actually, we do have one ally. He's with you now. He's Dan Newman. That's me. And you know what? We do have it together. We're all together, you and I. And it's especially important on days like this that we can look at each other and say, I have your back. I have your family's back. I'm all in with you. And I tell you what, as we unwrap a little bit of what happened in Uvalde, Texas yesterday, we're not going to spend a lot of time. We're not going to do an hour portion of the show on it. But there are some things that I want to weigh in on with you. And um, it's informative, very informative. We're going to try to keep the emotions out of it as much as possible simply because when you are emotional, seldom do you make good decisions, good choices. Emotions are wonderful. I actually know somebody in my life that is almost entirely emotionless and has been for their entire lives. I I just can't imagine not being able to have an emotional release about not just bad things, but about good things, excitement, joy, really good and feeling really good about everything sometimes. And if you have the ability to do that, that means you also have the ability to be sad, to be hurt, to be angry. And all of those things are human characteristics, human traits. And there's nothing wrong with being human. You know what I'm talking about? We're all human. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. And we're going to push through and deal with our emotions and come up with some things with which we can make choices that are not just based on emotion. So let's just get started now. I wanted to wait a, a minute or two for everybody that logs in here live every day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Central Time to be here to join us from the top, especially the first part of the show today. We're going to bring some reason to the conversations about Uvalde, about all of the other mass school shootings that have happened in our history. Why? Why not? What are we doing? Why aren't we doing something, whatever something is, to get it fixed, if that's a good word? So let's just look at the at the details from the top, the skinny. A heroic 10-year-old girl was shot dead. She tried to call 911. She's among 19 child victims of our latest school mass shooter. As devastated relatives recount their loved one's horrifying final moments, that would be the toughest thing for me. If I had a child down in Uvalde and this happened, just looking back and thinking of the horror and the terror that my child must have felt knowing at any moment they were going to be shot and killed. Amory Jo Garza, a fourth grader at Robb Elementary in the city of Uvalde, Texas, know right where it is. She was killed in cold blood yesterday morning by 18-year-old loner named Salvador Ramos. 
He just walked into the school carrying a handgun and an AR-15 before opening fire on classrooms full of children and two teachers were killed in his attack. Berlinda Irene Ariola, Amory's grandmother, said that Ramos told the class, you're going to die before he began his massacre, shooting her granddaughter dead as she tried to call 911. Amory was was sitting next to her best friend who was left covered in her blood. So the gunman went in and he told the children, you're going to die. And Amory had her phone and she called 911. And instead of grabbing it and breaking it or taking it from her, he just shot her. She was sitting right next to her best friend. Her best friend was covered in her blood. That's her grandmother. Also killed in the attack were two boys, Xavier Lopez, age 10, nine-year-old Uzziah Garcia, three more girls, McKenna Elrod, 10, Ilihana Torres, also 10, and Ellie, whose age and surname were not immediately available. Evie Marlis, 44, and Emma Garcia, a mother of four, were the two teachers who were shot and killed. Ramos was stopped by a Border Patrol agent who had been manning a nearby post and rushed into the school when he heard about what was going on. The two exchanged gunfire. Ramos was shot and killed. The agent was wounded, a local official said, but was able to walk himself out of the school. More than a dozen children were also hurt in the attack. That includes a 10-year-old girl taken to a hospital in San Antonio in critical condition. A 66-year-old woman believed to be Ramos's grandmother, who he shot at the start of his killing spree, was in the same hospital in San Antonio, also in critical condition. A second hospital in Uvalde itself said 13 kids had been brought to them without saying what condition they're in. Police warned late yesterday the death toll could even go higher than 19 plus 2, 19 students, 2 teachers. Just hours before the killings took place, Ramos messaged an acquaintance on Instagram telling her he had a little secret he wanted to share after earlier tagging her in a picture of two guns that he bought himself on his 18th birthday. His TikTok account also featured a short user bio that read, Kids, be scared. I'm scrolling through pictures now online of everybody that was around in the aftermath of this shooting. One of those rifles that Ramos legally purchased was found alongside his body in the school. Another was found in a truck which he crashed close by. A backpack filled with loaded magazines was found abandoned on the way into the school. Seven 30-round magazines were found inside the grounds of the school. It wasn't immediately clear whether they were full or empty. Ramos was found wearing a body armor vest, though it had no armor plating inside. It was just a vest. President Biden, you're going to hear from him in just a second. Ted Cruz, of course, a Republican senator for Texas, he reached out repeating well-worn arguments that restricting the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens to prevent mass shootings doesn't work. He said the solution is to put armed officers on school campuses. And Cruz is due to speak at 
an NRA, National Rifle Association, conference later this week. Children confirmed dead by family members included 10-year-olds Xavier Lopez, Eliana Torres, and McKenna Elrod, 8-year-old Uzziah Garcia. Another girl called Ellie Garcia was confirmed to have died by her grieving parents. Angel Garza, the father of Amory, who had been appealing on Facebook for news of his then-missing daughter, told ABC News late yesterday, thank you everyone for the prayers and help trying to find my baby. She's been found. My little love is now flying high. I promised. (laughs) As I said at the top of this, The worst thing regarding emotion would be if we didn't have any. These are not my babies. But they're somebody's babies. The father of 10-year-old Annabelle Guadalupe Rodriguez said she was also still missing. The missing included Rajalio Torres, Neva, Bravo. He shot and killed horrifically and incomprehensibly 14 students. Now it's up to 19. Killed a teacher. Now it's up to two teachers. That was Governor Abbott at a press briefing shortly after he got news of the shootings. There are families that are in mourning right now, and the state of Texas is in mourning with them. A picture of the gunman. It showed up as a bullied loner, picked on at school because of a lisp, had a habit of wearing eyeliner, his clothes, and because he came from an extremely poor family. Those who knew him or his relatives say he was a nice but quiet boy who grew increasingly violent as he got older amid relentless bullying, both in school and online. Santos Valdez told the Washington Post he used to be friends with Ramos, played online shooter games such as Fortnite and Call of Duty with him until the pair stopped talking as Ramos's behavior deteriorated. Valdez said Ramos had showed up at the park one time with cuts all over his face. He initially claimed he was scratched by a cat before he admitted that he did it to himself with a knife. Stephen Garcia who considered himself Ramos' best friend in eighth grade, said he was bullied by a lot of people, including for over a photo of himself wearing eyeliner, which led to gay taunts. Garcia said Ramos dropped out of school when he moved away to another part of the state and the two had lost touch. Others confirmed that Ramos had stopped attending classes, did not intend to take part in graduation this summer. Instead, he, he got a job at a local Wendy's. A colleague there described Ramos as having an aggressive streak. She said he walked around with a pair of boxing gloves at the park, asking people to fight him and filming it. He also menaced co-workers, asking one of the cooks, do you know who I am? He would be very rude towards the girls sometimes, and he would also send inappropriate texts to the ladies, his former colleague said, asking for her name not to be used. As an 18th birthday present to himself, Earlier this month, 
Ramos bought two AR-style rifles and paraded them on social media, including anonymous messages sent hours before the killing started. A teenage acquaintance of his, who lives in Los Angeles, claims to barely know him, posted screenshots of messages he sent her early Tuesday after tagging her in a picture of his rifles. In them, he said he wanted to share a little secret and urged her to respond to him. The conversation ended before Ramos revealed his secret to her. Ruben Flores, who knew Ramos's family, said he had an unstable home life, got into blow-up fights with his mother, who he grew up with alongside two sisters in a house around a five-minute drive from Robb Elementary. Police had been called to the home on more than one occasion, Flores added. She said Ramos had moved in with his grandmother a few months ago. Flores said the grandmother was in the process of evicting Ramos's mother from her house, which the elderly woman owned. This deadly assault in Texas follows a series of mass shootings in the U.S. this month. Remember this? May 14th, an 18-year-old self-declared white supremacist shot and killed 10 people in Buffalo in a grocery store. The next day, a man blocked the door of a church in Laguna Woods, California and opened fire on its Taiwanese-American congregation, killing one and wounding five. In spite of the recurring mass casualty shootings, multiple initiatives to reform gun regulations have failed in Congress, leaving states and local councils to strengthen or weaken their own restrictions. Now here we go. We could, we could just go on in this story, and every such story you're going to read or hear about, if you turn on the news right now, I don't care which network you go to, the conversation is about gun control. Gun control. It shouldn't be about gun control. There's not a single gun that on its own has ever shot anybody, yet alone killed anybody. Not a single one. Ramos. Ramos pulled the trigger every time that those 21 people were killed yesterday and the others that were wounded. He, a person, pulled the trigger. And of course, the gun detractors will say, well, if he didn't have that gun, he couldn't have killed those 21 people. Well, maybe he would have found another way, like a homemade bomb. People do bad things. Incidents on their own just don't become incidents out of the air. It just doesn't come from nowhere. Evil comes through people. And that means there's a process that needs to be interrupted and intervention take place long before the evil takes hold and initiates this Ramos slaughter that happened yesterday. And that can be done. How do you know? What are you saying, Dan? Tell us how to do it. Tell us how to do it. Well, let me tell you what we're going to do. I'm not going to do this today. But in 2018, truthnewsnet.org published two stories, two stories with explicit data that proved that it can be stopped. 100% no school shootings ever. 
It can be stopped. We started talking about it in 2018. We gave the plan. Obviously, nothing was done. And it doesn't have to just be at schools. There are models in place that have stopped it, a place where there were school shootings all the time. And there hasn't been one in over 20 years. We're going to republish both of those stories tomorrow. And we'll come back and talk about all this stuff. But in the meantime, what we have to deal with today is what's on our plate today. And what's on our plate is the politicization of what happened. It's no different. It happens this way every time there's a shooting. Joe Biden, he jumped on Air Force One. He went up to Buffalo, New York. He met with the loved ones of those people that were killed by that white supremacist. You know what's interesting? He didn't go to Los Angeles and reach out to the family members of those Taiwanese Chinese that died by that shooter last week. He didn't do it. I wonder why. I'm just asking a question. I'm not pointing a finger. At any rate, hold your breath. I want you to listen to what our commander-in-chief had to say in the aftermath last night about the slaughter in Uvalde. Good evening, fellow Americans. I had hoped when I became president I would not have to do this. Again, another massacre, Uvalde, Texas, an elementary school, beautiful, innocent, second, third, fourth graders. And how many scores of little children who witnessed what happened see their friends die? as if they're on a battlefield, for God's sake. They'll live with it the rest of their lives. There's a lot we don't know yet. There's a lot we do know. The parents who will never see their child again, never have them jump in bed and cuddle with them. Parents will never be the same. To lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. There's a hollowness in your chest. You feel like you're being sucked into it and never going to be able to get out. Suffocating. It's never quite the same. It's a feeling shared by the siblings and the grandparents and the family members and the community that's left behind. Scripture says, Jill and I have talked about this in different contexts, in other contexts. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So many crushed spirits. So tonight, I ask the nation to pray for them, give the parents and siblings the strength 
in the darkness they feel right now. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? It's been 3,448 days, 10 years, since I stood up at a high school in Connecticut, a grade school in Connecticut, where another government ma massacred 26 people, including 20 first graders at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Since then, there have been over 900 incidents of gunfires reported on school grounds. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Santa Fe High School in Texas. Oxford High School in Michigan. The list goes on and on, and the list grows when it includes mass shootings at places like movie theaters, houses of worship, as we saw just 10 days ago at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. I am sick and tired of it. We have to act. And don't tell me we can't have an impact on this carnage. I spent my career as a senator and a vice president working to pass common-sense gun laws. We can and won't prevent every tragedy, but we know they work and have positive impact. When we passed the assault weapons ban, mass shootings went down. When the law expired, mass shootings tripled. The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. What in God's name do you need an assault weapon for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on, for God's sake. It's just sick. And the gun manufacturers have spent two decades aggressively marking assault weapons, which make them the most and largest profit. For God's sake, we have to have the courage to stand up to the industry. Here's what else I know. Most Americans support common sense laws, common sense gun laws. I just got off a trip from Asia meeting with Asian leaders. And I learned of this while I was on the aircraft. And what struck me on that 17-hour flight, what struck me was these kinds of mass shootings rarely happen anywhere else in the world. Why? They have mental health problems. They have domestic disputes in other countries. They have people who are lost. But these kinds of mass shootings never happen with the kind of frequency that happen in America. Why? Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies? It's time to turn this pain into action for every parent for every citizen in this country. We have to make it clear to every elected official in this country, it's time to act. It's time for those who obstruct or delay or block the common sense gun laws. We need to let you know that we will not forget. We can do so much more 
We have to do more. Our prayer tonight is for those parents lying in bed and trying to figure out, will I be able to sleep again? What do I say to my other children? What happens tomorrow? May God bless the loss of innocent life on this sad day. And may the Lord be near the brokenhearted and save those crushed in spirit, because they're going to need a lot of help and a lot of our prayers. God love you. The Commander-in-Chief, in a seven-minute speech last night, spent two minutes and 12 seconds comforting those who lost children, those who lost mothers, friends, relatives, senselessly in a gun shooting. Two minutes. The rest of it, what did he do? He crawled on his politicization horse and just rode and rode and rode and turned it into a political opportunity for Democrats to march across our nation and claim we've got to stop these mass shootings. They're happening all too frequently. Only place on the planet they happen, as the president just told you, is here in the United States. He said in Europe and Asia, this never happens. Why? Oh, why? Oh, why? I've got the answers for you, folks. I've got the answers. Some things you probably are not familiar with, but they've been options They've been low-hanging fruit on the tree of fixing it. This man, when he was vice president for eight years, his boss, when he was president for eight years, had a chance when numerous mass shootings happened on their watch, they could have taken actions. But instead of taking actions, They decided, just like our president decided last night, and you just heard him speak about it in his his message to these parents and family members, here's his message. We're going to keep on doing what we've always done in the aftermath of every mass shooting in the United States. We're going to beat the drum of gun control. We're going to beat people over the head and just just force them into submission, well, they're going to give up and try our suggestions, which is, by the way, to violate the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, which has been over and over and over again at the Supreme Court, challenging its veracity. Law after law has been attempted to abridge the Second Amendment. And the United States Supreme Court, they don't get into politics. There's a bunch of people now that really want this Supreme Court to get into politics, but that's not what their job is. You know what their job is? To interpret the laws, especially those detailed in the Constitution. And in the Constitution, 
you and I, every American, and our rearview mirrors and everyone going ahead, has the right to own lawfully and use lawfully a weapon for protection. Period. Oh my gosh, Dan. That's the reason for all these shootings. There are guns everywhere. Have you looked at the statistics for all of the murders that happen in the United States and looked at the weapon that has been used? Believe it or not, guns are not as bad as you think they are. Weapons of other types are used a lot too. What's our problem? Can we do anything? And if we can, what can we do? We'll get into that next. Next. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway, eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network. There was some. Here's Dan. I'm sorry, Pete. Didn't mean to step on you there. There was some other important activity in the nation yesterday. It was... Um, preliminary elections, primary elections, both parties for different positions around the nation. Don't forget, every two years, every seat in the U.S. Congress, in the House of Representatives, in that particular chamber, every seat, every two years, there's an election for it. That's called midterms. Our midterms are coming up in November. And um, there weren't very many surprises around the nation. Of course, if you listen to mainstream media today, there were a couple of races that uh, didn't turn out the way that former President Donald Trump wanted them to. It had to do with 
candidates that he endorsed. He endorsed the opponent of Raffensperger, the Democrat, excuse me, the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia, and Raffensperger won that primary. Also in Georgia, former U.S. Senator Purdue was endorsed by Donald Trump, and the incumbent that we talk about here all the time, he had some real issues that happened on his watch in his first term as governor, um, especially had to do with the 2020 election. And he won handily over Trump's uh, endorsed Senator Purdue. Those are the two biggies. If you listen to mainstream media, Donald Trump is dying because America is rejecting him. What they fail to mention, and I don't have the exact number, of all candidates around the nation in state and local elections and also congressional primaries, those who former President Trump endorsed, there's only been four races lost, and it's about a 70-4 to margin. He's pricked pretty well. And, of course, what you are finding out, nobody's talking about this. Those races in Georgia, listen, just because you support somebody in an election and the person you support doesn't win, that shouldn't be considered a reflection on you just because you, because of your principles, your preferences, your thoughts and ideas aren't valuable at all. The other side, obviously, they're the right ones, and you just need to drop all of your fundamental principles, everything you've learned, your morals, the things you like, the things you don't like, the things you believe in, the things that you don't, because somebody else won against your candidate in an election. This is supposed to be a representative republic slash democracy, right? We all have the right to our own opinions. And just because someone comes out against our opinion, even if it's voting for somebody, that doesn't mean our thoughts and likes are invalid. It doesn't invalidate us. It just basically says the majority disagree with your thoughts and ideas. That's because they have their opinions that are just as valuable as our mine. Now let's get back to this Uvalde shooting. We could sit here, we could read names, we could quote politicians, we could do that till the cows come home. Nothing's going to change the results. Nothing's going to change the fact that Peyton Gendron, 18 years old himself, he had been planning an attack that one that he carried out in Buffalo for months. For months. What could have prevented that? What could have prevented what happened in Uvalde? There's a laundry list of things that woulda, coulda, shoulda been done in every mass shooting attack, everyone in history. Hindsight's always 2020, isn't it? But what's the difference between politicians and leaders? There are a lot of differences, but there's one big one. The big one that sticks up out there. Real leaders, they first have plans that they share 
way before elections happen. And in fact, if this had happened, a politician that made plans that were revealed way before an election, Joe Biden wouldn't be president of the United States. I don't think people would vote for him like they did in 2020 if he had talked about turning the government over to the far left, if he had talked about slaughtering in just days after being inaugurated the fossil fuel industry that started the price of energy going through the roof, put hundreds of thousands of people out of work around the country, and is a major attack that we may never recover from against one of the biggest sectors of our economy that pays for almost everything, the fossil fuel industry. Leaders don't do what Joe Biden did. Lie. Misrepresent. Tell us one thing, do another. Scripturally, that's double-minded. That means you're going to say one thing for this person over here, something totally opposite for this person over here, because you want them both to take you in and like you and support you, and they don't know what each other said. Real leaders make plans. Real leaders, when they don't have all the answers, before they put out answers, they bring in others that have the expertise those leaders don't have. They trust those people. And then they listen to what those people give as input. They put it all together. They correlate it into an overall plan that is the absolute best plan that they can come up with to fix something, any problem. This president, lay the gun violence to the side just for a second. Right after he left his post at vice president, Donald Trump became president, and he started a very firm, very visible process to do something that he promised in his campaign he was going to do, which was give the power of the government back to the people rather than have a chokehold on it from the White House. In other words, go back to what our forefathers structured our government to do, which is to be government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which means those people out there, they're our bosses. They elected us. We got to listen to them, and we've got to do what we promised when we were running for this office. We've got to do what we promised. That's not what Joe Biden is doing today. It's a 180-degree departure from what he campaigned on and who's paying the price. Let me just go back to the fundamentals. What could we have done as a nation to stop what happened in Uvalde, to stop what happened in Buffalo? The number one thing we could do, the number, the number one thing we can do, follow the law especially those that occupy offices across the nation, kind of like, you know, the President of the United States, uh, the Attorney General, the Director of the FBI, the Director of the CIA, the Director of the Department of Homeland Security. Every one of those people I just mentioned, they put one hand on a Bible, the other in the air, and swore an oath 
to do just that, enforce the laws in the Constitution, and of course, as those laws are determined to be legal by the United States Supreme Court, and also the laws that are passed in the states and in the Congress that are signed into law. If those things alone had been done, those things alone, there wouldn't have been any school shootings. How do you figure, Dan? Do you know that over 100,000 people here in the United States, more than 100,000 in the last year, have died from an overdose of fentanyl? Never seen before. Why did that happen? Taking that fentanyl, buying that fentanyl, that was a criminal act. Where did those people get it from? On the street, principally. It came from, it was sourced from China. China has a massive deal with those criminal operations in Mexico. Fentanyl is created in large part in China, shipped to Central America and Mexico. Why? To be distributed across our southern border into the United States, distributed all across the United States, and then put on the streets. Over 100,000 people. Do you know if Joe Biden was committed to enforcing the rule of law, he would have stopped that? Why didn't he? It wasn't politically correct. What's the number one thing up at the top of the quote-unquote plan for the left about how to win control politically permanently in the United States? We've got to control the elections every two years. We've got to. Well, how do you do that? Well, we just make the majority of the people realize that everything we do is best for them. And then they'll forget about this freedom thing. They'll forget about this equality thing. And they'll just listen to us as we define everything for them. We tell them what's important. We tell them what's not important. We tell them what to do. Oh, by the way, we tell them to send us their money. And if they don't agree, we pass laws that allow us to reach into their pockets, their bank accounts, and take the money that we say they owe to us. And we justify it to them by telling them, give us the money, we're going to take care of everything. You won't have to worry about everything. We'll even pay you to sit at home. We'll pay you to have babies. We'll take care of everything. Just send us your money. That's what you're seeing play out, folks. If Joe Biden was a real leader, if Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and many in Congress, and it's not just a Democrat thing, folks, it's a vacancy, a vapidness of real leadership in our nation, and it's not just exclusive to Washington, D.C. But as we know, when real change is implemented, when it's accepted and implemented and operated as it's supposed to, it begins with the people at the top who support it, who push it, 
and who demand people abide by the rule of law. And when you don't, every time you don't, you're going to be held accountable according to the law, federal, state, and or local. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Case in point, you heard your president at the opening of the show get in front of that microphone for two minutes and tell everybody how sorry he is. Let me say this about Joe Biden. I know he knows what it is, how horrible it is to lose a child. He did. A daughter in a car wreck along with his first wife. I can't imagine the horror of that. And then his oldest son, Bo, died of brain cancer. I can't imagine that. A child is not supposed to die before their parents. They're supposed to bury us. We're not supposed to bury them. I buried a granddaughter. And I've, I've said this on the show before, the most difficult thing I've ever experienced. And if you come here very often, you get a pretty good idea that I'm an emotional guy. The worst thing I ever did, not worst thing I ever did, but the toughest thing I ever did was driving up to that cemetery and looking out there where we were going to have the funeral, the graveside service, and seeing a little bitty white casket sitting up there holding my granddaughter. I can't imagine how these moms and dads are feeling today. We've all lost people that we know and love, but hopefully you've never You've never had to recover from something like what happened yesterday in Uvalde. If, Mr. President, if you want to actually lead this nation and solve this problem, you can do it. You can do it, but it will never happen. You're never going to get the Constitution to approve your plans for taking guns away from Americans. You'll never get it done. Never. And that's exactly why our forefathers framed the Constitution to make sure its ultimate power and control remains in the hands of the populace. They passed the Second Amendment and put it in the Constitution, not for me to protect myself from my neighbors, from invaders, from jihadists, from people that just want to rob me. They did not do it for that. They did it to make sure our government will never have the control of arms that they can use against the people. The Bill of Rights, we hear all the time about the First Amendment. All those Ten Amendments in the Bill of Rights were, they were not our forefathers giving us the power that's detailed in each one of those Ten Amendments. They were so concerned about any federal government ever having total control to be able to use anything they want against the population even up to forcing people under threat of military action to bow 
to the government. And so they decided we're going to restate all of these parts of the Ten Amendments to the government so that they will always know these things have never belonged to the government. They have and always will. The contents of those ten will always belong to the American people, and you can't take it away. That's the way the Supreme Court has determined every time a case comes before them in 260 years for any of the Ten Amendments. They always, like they're supposed to, forget about the politics of each of them and go to the law. Make determination, not based on your personal emotional feelings. Sometimes a Supreme Court justice, often in fact, they may face a case that comes before them politically which they disagree with. But according to their oaths of office, they must rule only according to the law, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Constitution, and duly passed American laws. If we lose any of those Ten Amendments, we've lost our nation and we'll be totally at the whim of our federal government, which, by the way, is exactly what is on the table and has been since Joe Biden became president. The left, they've tried to take over everything already and make it a federal government thing. That's why they push so hard. They want desperately to take total control of every election across the U.S. Federalizing the elections is what it's called. That's what they want to do because they want total power at the top. So what can we do? I will tell you this today. We're going to present tomorrow a detailed plan, not so much of how we can do it, but how it's being done very successfully and has been for decades elsewhere on the planet in democratic countries, countries that are very similar to us structured politically. But there's a big difference. They don't have a party in their country that gives nothing no care, no concern for the will of the people, but wants to control everything. For President Biden, for Attorney General Merrick Garland, for Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, for all of these men, the ones that are in real powerful positions right now, and that every one of them already has and will be in front of television cameras about this fatality just unbelievable fatal situation that happened in Uvalde. They'll be in front of these cameras for weeks to come, just as it was down in Plantation, Florida. Sandy Hook, horrible mass shootings, especially in schools. They're going to be in front of them for weeks. Unless our leaders in mass raise their hands, get up in front of their electorates, if you're a member of Congress, those in your district, if you're a governor, those in your state, if you're a state legislature for those in your districts, get in front of them, make commitments to make sure the rule of law is enforced. Do you know that 
in three years, in Texas alone, 600,000 felonies were committed by illegals in Texas against Texas residents. That included everything from the top premeditated murder, rape, breaking and entering, all kinds of horrors all the way down the line. 600,000 cases. And every one of them, every one of them wouldn't have happened 600,000 times if what? If the rule of law was enforced by the federal government, who has by the Constitution the exclusive power to police the borders of this nation. And the federal government refuses to police it according to the rule of law. The laws that are on the books, many of them, federal immigration laws, that this president, Joe Biden, voted for in his 36 years serving in the United States Senate. Why, oh why, how, oh how, could this man get up in front of the nation and look in the eyes of those parents who lost these 19 babies yesterday and with impunity, without saying it, what he's saying to them, forget about what I'm doing now. Forget about what I haven't done now. Forget about that. We're so sorry for you. We pray for you. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out there and we're going to attempt once again. We've done it for 9,856 times. We've tried to create illegal, unconstitutional laws that we say will stop these shootings. What about in Chicago, Joe? What about in Philadelphia and Baltimore and New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles? What about Chicago every weekend? At least a dozen people are gunned to death. We hear the reports every week. These evil guns. We, we've, we've got to take care of these guns. You've got all kinds of laws in Chicago and Illinois about gun control. They've never worked. And do you know what? We don't get the statistics on. Most of the guns that were used to kill people in Chicago last year, a huge number of them, are illegal guns. They're illegal guns. In other words, they were stolen. Somebody brought them in from out of state. A lot of them come in from overseas. Criminals, they know where to get guns. And very few criminals go to Dick's Sporting Goods and fill out that form that before you can get a gun there and buy it and close the sale, you got to be checked out by the FBI, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Yeah, we're going to make sure you don't have any history there. Well, they don't go there, but they still get guns and they still kill people. If there's no accountability... Guess who are the first segment of our society to take advantage of it? People who are willing to do illegal things and they analyze it, maybe subconsciously. Well, I want to do this, I want to have that, but I don't have money. Maybe I could just slip in there and steal it. But if they knew if they got caught stealing, there would be a price to pay and it could mean going to jail. If they knew 
that if they beat somebody up or they shot somebody, they were going to be held accountable for that, and it may be life in prison, maybe even the death penalty, and they know if they do that every time they do it or anybody else does it, the same accountability is going to be meted out by the government. Guess what happens? They don't do it. And every once in a while, but very rarely, somebody will step over the line and do it. And then we see what happens. If we did just that, if we, in one fail swoop, if Joe Biden just destroyed his insane picture that he's painted out there about legal and illegal immigration, if he just put it to the side and said, you know what? I swore an oath on January 20th of 2020. I swore an oath to defend and protect the Constitution. And I apologize. I haven't done that to the extent that I will. From this point forward, I will see to it with all of my power and my authority meted to me when I was elected to be president. I'm going to enforce the rule of law. I'm going to see to it that our Department of Justice, every Department of Law Enforcement, Immigration, Customs, everything, everybody is going to do solely whatever it takes to enforce the rule of law. And all offenders will be held accountable according to the bills that came before me when I was in the Senate. I voted for, pushed them up, and those were signed into law when they got to the White House. They're in place. I apologize for not pushing for their enforcement. I apologize thinking I can lie to the people, promise whatever I feel like needs to be promised at the moment, and everything's going to be okay. I'm not going to do that anymore. We're going to stop illegality of every kind. We're not going to burn down Portland, Oregon anymore by the Antifa thugs. We're not going to allow Black Lives Matter or any other terrorist, domestic terrorist group. We're not going to allow them to break the law. If they do, they're going to be held accountable every time and every one of them. We're not going to put on another charade like we've been putting on since the January 6th insurrection where we, we've still got hundreds of Americans in jail. We've destroyed, we've trampled on their constitutional rights. We're holding them illegally. We have been holding them illegally. They've not been given a speedy trial, which is a constitutional promise. We're never going to do that again, and we're going to straighten it out right now. And we can name, you can name just as many across the nation as I can. I'm not going to do that again. If I was running, if the presidency was up for grab in November and I was running, I would run on what you've heard me say in the first 45 minutes of this tirade I've been on. If you, any candidate, ran on just that, and in their rearview mirror, they actually had something in their past that would confirm to Americans, hey, this guy, this woman, they have it. We can look and see what kind of people they are by what they've done. Give them a chance. It can't get any worse. I think that person would win. You know, we've got kind of an example of that in my lifetime. I guess the first election I voted in was in uh, let's see, it was about 1969, 
68, along then, I got involved in voting. I've been voting ever since. And I always look for the politician that's honest. (laughs) How hard is that to find? How many times at any race for any office do you look at the people that are running and you listen to their campaign promises and you go, yeah, right. Like that's ever going to happen. The first time on a national level I ever saw it happen, was in 2015 and 2016. I'm going to use his name. You'll spit and sputter and you may turn off the radio or your computer screen. Donald Trump promised all kinds of stuff when he was campaigning and every one of them he promised, he fulfilled when he became president. The only ones he couldn't and didn't is the ones that he couldn't get the support from legislators, not just those on the other side of the aisle, Democrats, In many cases, members of his own party, the deep state in Washington, D.C. Say what you will about the orange man. I hated his messaging. I hated it. But I loved the substance of his presidency, where whatever he said, whatever he promised he was going to do, he did it. If I could have done away with his horrible messaging, I think I would have been a lot happier But talking to my brother, who's a pastor, he had the same problems that I did. And I mean, he was really, really worried. In fact, he had me craft a letter that I sent to President Trump. I sent it through Ivanka. She got it. I sent it on a return receipt notice, and she got the letter. I don't know if she did anything with it, but the letter, the context was, Mr. President, we support you. We pray for you every day. We are so thankful for what you've already been able to achieve. And we look forward to what's ahead. Would you consider softening your messaging process? We like what you say, but could you quit the profanity and quit going after people on a personal level? And after watching that happen for about six months, maybe nine months, it kind of went ding, ding, ding in my head. There are a lot of Americans that his messaging style appeals to that they don't want to hear any more of the kind that we've always heard. I've heard since 1969 in campaigns at every level, what's that? We want to say what what we think the people want to hear. It doesn't matter if we're going to be able to do it later. If it sounds good now, hey, 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 they'll vote for him. And we, a bunch of us, voted for Donald Trump. Why did we do that? We thought he would do what he said he would do novel thing to happen in politics, right? He did it. (laughs) He did it. Oh my gosh, we're just getting cranking. There's so much more here. There's other stuff happening. You're going to hear about that next. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central for Dan Newman, TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. One note just popped up about the school shooting yesterday in Uvalde. It's a, it's another sad detail. Every one of those children, all 19 of them, were all in the exact same fourth grade class in that classroom. 19, this man went in and shot and killed 19 fourth graders in the same classroom. Oh my gosh, how horrible is this? And again, folks, we're going to be getting detail after detail leaking all day, every day for the next month, if not longer. So prepare yourself emotionally because it's going to be a tough ride. There is nobody that can look at this situation and say any good will come from it. But I promise you, in the big scheme of things, which is above our thought level, In the big scheme of things, people often find themselves, if they'll refuse to take the low road and just get mad and hacked off and scream and holler, instead of try to find good ways to work together to get through these things emotionally, there will be people that will try to repeat this because they're looking for five minutes of fame. And again, tomorrow, as I said, we're going to talk about a way, a way that we can stop this at every school in the United States of America from ever happening again. So what else is going on besides this issue? Joe Biden has another big one on his plate that is self-produced with no management, no planning, no preparation. Although it was known by members of his administration, we find out that there was a probable baby formula shortage in our future. We've got to prepare for it, Mr. President. It probably didn't get to him. And you know, every president has a whole lot of uh, priorities that they've got to tend to, a whole lot of things on their plate. But they feel, they fill it an administration with people that are like-minded, that are professionals in different levels, Donald Trump, I guess basically because he was a business tycoon and he had created and operated businesses that were much bigger than our federal government was at the time. That's hard to believe, but he did. And he did it, on the most part, very effectively. When he made bad choices... He was one of those people that would go immediately find out what he did 
or didn't do that was wrong that would have not let them happen, and he changes it so that they won't happen ever again. Sad to say Joe Biden doesn't have that history. And a lot of this formula stuff is self-inflicted. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And everything that he does, he has to go outside and take a victory lap. Oh my gosh, look what I did. I've got a, I've got 78,000 pounds of formula coming in over the weekend. I got it from Europe. It's coming from Ramstein Air Base, our air base in Germany. And sure enough, it flew into Indianapolis. And guess what happened? We don't hear anything about this, but uh, a bunch of that baby food Joe Biden's FDA stepped in and said, you can't sell that. Why? Because it doesn't meet our bureaucratic standards. Yesterday, on the noontime show, that panel of women, uh uh-oh, women talking about baby formula, that's going to get ugly. (laughs) Well, they weighed in yesterday on Biden's issues over the baby formula stuff. It's just unbelievable and amazing to see them tout our great U.S. military flying baby formula from Europe to um, back to the United States as some sort of political win for them. It's embarrassing. Their priorities are so totally out of whack with the American people. Well, she's not wrong. Rachel Campos Duffy there, Fox and Friends Weekend co-host. She went after on this very program the Biden administration as Europe is bailing America out of the baby formula crisis. Now the Wall Street Journal reports the FDA is putting the brakes on that. It started confiscating large amounts of formula that's coming from Europe for reasons such as non-English labeling, like Americans wouldn't be able to follow the directions. Somebody couldn't translate that for us. We have Google. Scoop sizes. What the, the American government can't fix that. They, they can't send along a couple of appropriate scoop sizes. They, they've got warehouses full of backup. Maybe the formula has expired, but the scoops haven't. And storage safety. Oh, my list is long. The journal argues, quote, if the FDA refuses to leave baby formula to the market and American parents own judgment, it could help directly by providing English language instructions converting to American-sized scoops and explaining European health and safety standards. The approach carries its own risks, but isn't it better than seizing and destroying thousands of pounds of baby formula in the middle of a national crisis? Well, of course it is. I didn't realize they were going to ruin all of it. Jason Rance, Seattle radio talk show host. You couldn't make up the part where they're completely incompetent when it comes to this. No, and you know what, this really does shine a spotlight on the difference between how a Democrat and a Republican would approach this, right? You have Democrats who are all about the regulations, over-regulating, they think that they know best no matter what, and they will never take their eye off of trying to regulate something. And then you have the Republicans who certainly understand that regulation has a role, and it should have a role. But at some point, you look at an emergency and you question whether or not the regulations are getting in the way. When you have someone who is a supporter of business, maybe thinks like a business person would, what would you immediately say when told, well, some of the labels aren't in English? Okay, let's print some in English and just literally put them on the formula packages and send it out or give the instructions. Google it. Go online. There are so many ways to do it, and parents are smart enough to be able to look this up. They obviously don't want to hurt their kid, and so the parent will go and find the information that they need. There are so many easy ways around this problem, and yet instead of attacking it, 
we just have a photo of a shipment of baby formula on, on a plane. And we're like, yeah, we just did it. We just uh, single-handedly cured what ails us. And clearly they're not doing what they need to do. And I want to make it clear. When I say Google it, you can speak into your phone and go to a site that goes from one language to the other, and it will spit it out in English. <laughs> like, yeah. it's seriously that easy. I'm not saying go to Google to figure out how to feed your baby. Go to Google to get the instructions translated. Twitter does it if you push the translate button. Anyway, an NBC News opinion piece calls out Biden's misguided approach that means worried parents will continue to see empty store shelves for weeks to come. Quote, this crisis did not need to happen. The same companies that make formula in this country have plants in Europe where there are no shortages. The shortage became a crisis before the government adopted temporary measures that only nip at the edges of the problem. The parents of America and their babies deserve better than that. Jason. Yeah, that's 100% correct. I mean, look, I am all about protecting American companies who are putting out products like these, but you have to ensure that you are not allowing for just one company to basically own the market or have a huge share of the market, because then you're just asking for trouble. This is not a particular industry that has a whole bunch of competition, and in this case, at least opening it up to foreign markets to put products here in reasonable and safe ways makes sense sense, but we've mm. got such a high tariff on the imports, in addition to some of the FDA rules that really aren't about safety per se, they're just about some of the labeling uh, instructions. But the point is, yeah, you've got some of these companies that are already doing business overseas. It seems pretty obvious to me that you can safely bring them here. Yeah, I, I just don't get how the White House got so political on this issue. This is, this is a non-political issue, feeding your children. I mean, it, they turn it, it, everything political. Yeah, well, they've managed to. I mean, Biden is, in fact, the great unifier. He's brought Americans on opposite sides of issues and politics together over one unifying yeah. point. Feed our babies. I don't want to be the president of Democrats. I don't want to be the president of Republicans. I'm, if you elect me, I'm going to be the president for all Americans. He gets elected. And then he begins to pick the Americans out there with who he disagrees politically. You're not worthy. We're not going to take care of you. Oh my gosh. God forbid that he would think this thought I'm about to say, but I'm beginning to think it may be a process. A lot of those babies are babies of Republicans and they don't like me. So we're just going to slack off on our responsibilities. And yeah, there may be some people that get hurt from it. This thing didn't just happen, and it didn't just happen when Abbott up in Michigan that makes the largest volume of baby formula here in America, when they had to do a, a recall because there were some reports of, I think it was four babies that were taking and using some of this baby formula that died. They, of course, went in and said, wait a minute, stop it. You got to get this straight. You're killing people. Come to find out you haven't heard the report I'm going to give you right now. No babies died from the formula. No babies died from the formula. That was in February. February. It's May 25th. We're about to turn the calendar page to June. And since February, the FDA 
didn't make sure that Abbott Laboratories had this all worked out and was back online with the lion's share of all baby formula that's sold in the United States. And so now, what does the Biden administration have to do? They have to start making up stories, trying to make people feel okay when mamas are looking at their babies and they can't get formula for them. We've even given you examples here that the mainstream media won't talk about of babies that have specialty needs and take specialty formulas that they can't get. These babies are going to the hospital for treatment. And so this happens. Announcing the FDA announced yesterday it will allow about 2 million cans of baby formula from the United Kingdom into the country and allow Abbott Laboratories to release about 300,000 cans of specialty formula. Why are they doing this? To help ease the ongoing nationwide shortage. FDA commissioner said this, appointed by Joe Biden, quote, We continue to do everything in our power as part of the all-of-government efforts to ensure there's adequate infant formula available wherever and whenever parents and caregivers need it. Our recent steps will help further bolster supply of infant formula, including through the import of safe and nutritious products from overseas, based on our increased flexibilities announced last week. And he wasn't through. Importantly, we anticipate additional infant formula products may be safe and quickly imported into the U.S. in the near term, based on ongoing discussions with manufacturers and suppliers worldwide. You know the problem with all this? Bureaucrats are the ones that are making these decisions, making these quote-unquote plans that really they never make. Their plans, they don't develop any plans until they have to react because of something like a baby formula shortage that was self-inflicted by the Joe Biden administration. You know, for four years, every time somebody got a hangnail or a cold across the nation, Democrats found a way to point at Donald Trump. The orange man did it. Everything they screamed and railed at Donald Trump about, and still are, incidentally, None of it ever stuck. Why didn't it stick? Because Donald Trump wasn't a bureaucrat. Donald Trump wasn't a politician. The only politics he ever has done in his life is running for president and serving for four years. But what he did was he understood capitalism. He understood the good things and the bad things that can happen in a capitalist society. And he, for many years in his companies, he instituted the good things, the processes that he had seen himself work through decades of business operations. And he avoided all of those that never worked. Joe Biden doesn't have that perspective. Most of the members of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress, they don't have that perspective. Here's the big thing that most people miss. When people brand the government, local, state, and federal, when people in their minds brand those governments as being the ones that have all the answers, and the answers they have are correct, when that happens... 
things very seldom work out. And the reason it's happening more and more and more in America today is the government and the people have changed places in this process. Now it's the government that doesn't know, but they're out there doing it anyway. And the people who are supposed to be the ones that are pushing from the bottom up, the people are stuck out there needing to start from the top down and make the decisions, create the plans themselves, but the government has been given all the power and the people don't have power to do what needs to be done. And the government can't get them done. Why? Because we've elected feckless leaders who don't know, don't understand, or don't even give a rip about the people and the needs of the people. Like babies, a fundamental. I mean, everywhere we look, everywhere we have been throughout history, there have always been babies. (laughs) And babies can't eat steak and potatoes. I think I started pretty young eating steak. That's my still my favorite food. But that's a different thing. Why, oh why, is it critical to everything that even looks like it might be good that somebody comes up with an idea, bam, 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 Woo! this is good, Mr. President, this is good. And without any explanation, any knowledge, any answers, this president starts waving the flag. Y'all looky here. I've got another idea. Hey, my FDA, they're going to release 300,000 cans, specialty cans of baby food. Why? Because we screwed up and didn't make any other plans and we're trying to backpedal now and make you forget about the fact that we're feckless and we didn't do good leadership things. And we let this happen, kind of like our supply chain issue. You remember circle back Saki in the White House when it came up about the horrible situation we were facing because of our supply chain issues. The ports, oh my gosh, we just found out. The ports have a backup of 300 ships out of Los Angeles, uh, the... the, the, uh, the pier at Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles, sitting out there, they can't unload. Oh, they can't unload. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we just found out about that, and we, being the administration that we are, we just reached out to the port authority, and we've instigated a plan that's going to clean this up. It's going to take a little bit, but it's not going to be long. And we, the Biden administration, we're going to fix it. And here we are a year and a half later, and we're still dealing with the same problems because there's no management. There is no management. You think about everything else going, what about inflation? Look at the price of everything that has gone up. We didn't have gas like we're paying for gas to now under the Trump administration. And if it had been Ringo Starr as president and he did the same things Trump did, I'd be applauding Ringo Starr. But it happened to be Donald Trump the day Joe Biden was elected. I paid a $1.69 a gallon for gas where I paid $3.99 two days ago. Now, what the heck happened that justifies that? Well, A bunch of stuff happened that made it happen, but it doesn't justify it happening. And everything that happened 
was Biden's fault, his responsibility. There's no accountability there. The only way, the only place, the only process that the American people can use to hold elected officials accountable is the next election. We can't do anything about the presidency until 2024. And they know that. And so they've got to make, and they probably already have, they've got to make decisions about the future. And if they want, if they want to stay where they are, to create something that the people can stand on and look down the road and not have to worry every day, 24-7, about just making it under these policies that this administration has done, if they can't get us to forget about that and look ahead, there's no future for them. So they've got two choices. Build for the future or just realize we're going to be sent to the curb, and so let's just take as much as we can from the American people while we still have the power. And maybe we can get enough of it done so it won't hurt us when we lose that power. That's the kind of government we have today. And Americans must recognize that's the type of government we have today. The gas stuff. Joe Biden, Jen Psaki before she left, Corinne Jean-Pierre, Saki's replacement, inflation, inflation. Oh, that has nothing to do with this administration or our policies. It's all about Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. They don't want you to remember that from February, two weeks after Joe Biden took office, until the Ukraine invasion in September, gas went up $1.40 a gallon. That's called inflation. Why does inflation happen? Joe Biden is regularly telling us inflation is not something a government can do, right? Have you ever heard him say that before? Yeah, I, I hear him say it all the time. And anybody, if, if it comes up at a press briefing, which he doesn't do very much of, if it comes up at a press briefing, he screams and hollers and says, Spending more is what it will take to beat this inflation. Now, let me ask you this. When you find yourself in a dilemma in your own personal life and you're looking for a solution, a way out, who do you turn to for the answer? Do you look to the person that almost solely, if not solely, caused you to get to where you are facing this dilemma? Do you turn to them to look for the answer? If you do, there we go. We're talking about the definition of insanity again, doing the same things over and over again, but expecting different results. No, you don't go there. So why, oh why, would somebody look to this president for an answer of inflation that didn't happen under Donald Trump, the orange man, the evil orange man, that he was going to destroy our democracy. Adam Schiff and Democrats now, the far leftists, they still say Donald Trump is going to destroy our democracy when their policies are destroying our democracy. Why wouldn't you get somebody, somebody on the phone that's been through this before, that knows and understands inflation, what causes it and what fixes it, and see if you can come up with a solution. Novel idea. I think, or at least I used to think, that's what presidents do. Joe Biden, 
not so much. There's a guy out there, pretty well known, well thought of regarding everything in economics. You remember the name Milton Friedman? Ah, you've heard the name. What did he do? What, who was he? He was an economist. And he was so good at what he did, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for economics. That kind of gives him some credence, don't you think? So, put a little bit together here for you to listen to. It's less than a minute, but you'll hear Joe Biden talk about inflation. And then you'll hear Milton Freeman. Milton Friedman describes it and gives us what the true economics professional analysis of inflation and what causes it. I'm sick of this stuff. We have to talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. You know what? I'm not sure you got that. That was 44 seconds. Half of it was our current president. Half of it was from Milton Friedman, one of the greatest economists in all of U.S. history. So, you got 40 seconds left, right? Listen again. I'm sick of this stuff. We have to talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. In other words, too much government. Thank you, Milton Friedman, for your words of wisdom that come from a lot of history and expertise understanding how economies work, rather than relying on a political perspective with which you create and you share to the world a policy telling us this is what will work and how do you know it's what will work? It's because I'm Joe Biden and I said this will work. Wow. We're looking at our last half hour. Do you know what is going on? That trial, Michael Sussman trial, John Durham, he's, he's gone after Michael Sussman, who was the Hillary Clinton campaign general counsel during her campaign, who is busted because he lied to the FBI, which is a felony, by the way. Most people that do that, they get charged and tried for felony, committing acts of felony that they do. Sussman's on trial for that. Novel idea. <laughs> He's a Democrat, part of a, uh, if not the, one of the most powerful law firms 
in the nation, at least it was. They, they've split up because of all this stuff. Perkins Coy was their name in Washington. Jonathan Turley, you hear him often here. We quote him. He's a Democrat, but he is a constitutional law expert. He's up next, and he's going to explain some of this insanity going on in the Sussman trial and what's happening now and what's ahead. Jonathan Turley and more right after this. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks uh, Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coach. Hi, Tom Bodet. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodet for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. So during the break, this popped up and I couldn't, I couldn't not bring it to you. A new Reuters Ipsos poll just came out. It was just released. It's a, it's normally a pretty far left uh, Democrat controlled um, polling operation and therefore when we get the results they lean mostly that way not so today only 36% of Americans approve of Biden's job performance 59% disapprove now that same approval number is a downward shift from their poll last week when 42% approved of Biden so what's going on with the president well Let's put it in context real quick, and I'll say it this way, and it won't sound quite so bad for Joe. In the last few weeks under Biden's leadership, gas prices have continued to break record highs. Several mass shootings have occurred. Wednesday polling shows more voters trust Republicans on gun policy than Democrats. 
Biden's approval rating has been stuck under 50 since August after the deadly evacuation from Afghanistan and those 13 U.S. troopers who died, and they died because of one thing, plastic explosives. That was at the Air Force base in Afghanistan that Joe Biden abandoned before these 13 U.S. troops were killed in a suicide blast, and they were killed by explosives that came from that air base. His approval rating among his own party has taken a hit. Only 72% of Democrats now approve of Biden. In contrast, Donald Trump's approval rating among Republicans during his tenure was constantly in the 90% range. Biden's 36% approval rating, this is according to Reuters, is not the lowest poll of his presidency, though it's close. In April, just 33% approved of Biden's job performance, matching Biden's all-time record low from January. Now, that's from another poll. Just thought we'd throw that in there. You remember just a few minutes ago, I told you that the ruling party, when they get in a situation like this, they really only have two choices. When the American people turn against them, they know that they've only got as much time as is remaining in their service time. If it's in Congress, it's two years. If it's a president, in four years, whatever amount of that is left before the next election. And so Democrats are at a point, they probably have already passed this point. Maybe that's because of what some of the things we're seeing them do and not do. But nevertheless, they've got two choices. Either turn it around, listen to the people, the choices that the people want in government rather than what this government is doing that's causing things that are happening. Or they can look at it and say, you know what, there's no way we can fix it in just two years. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next two years doing the most that we can possibly do to help us personally. Forget about the government. Forget about the people. We're only going to do the things that help us personally. And I honestly, I'm beginning to think that's where this administration is. Doing whatever they can do to the maximum amount to help them. And just take it in the shorts when they get thrown out of power by the people. And I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. So let's do a sake. Let's circle back. I told you going into the break, Jonathan Turley, yesterday he came on and he analyzed the latest phase of the John Durham trial of Sussman, the Hillary Clinton campaign attorney. Listen closely to Turley's analysis. I think you'll learn something from it. Right, joining me now, George Washington University professor and a Fox Business contributor, Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, uh, welcome to the program. All right, question for you. So you have Bill Priestep on the stand today, um, and he doesn't really have any recollection about uh, Sussman, the defendant in this case. Do you find that odd that Sussman is the, is the source of uh, coming in and saying, listen, we have Donald Trump, the candidate, who's maybe in communication with Russia, and that Priestep wouldn't remember anything about uh, about Sussman and um, and how that information came into the FBI? Well, one would think it would concentrate your mind when yes. 
an attorney comes in and says that we have this bombshell evidence that a potential president of the United States has a secret communications line running through a Russian bank. The story itself was so bizarre and unbelievable, it stood out for many, including the researchers who warned the Clinton campaign uh, that they could be mocked over this suggestion, that the evidence was not uh, did not establish this type of claim. But we've seen this type of testimony earlier. You know, you had uh, James Baker, the former general counsel on the stand, and he was the one who produced this incriminating text the night before that meeting that said, where Sussman said, I am not appearing on behalf of a client. I'm just a concerned citizen. And Baker was asked, why did you wait so long to turn that over to the Department of Justice? And he said, because this is your investigation, not mine. And he said that I'm a friend of Sussman's. And a lot of us were really taken aback. You were one of the top Justice Department officials. And you just told the Department of Justice that, frankly, don't expect me to do the work for you? You know, I think it's interesting. You have uh, two star witnesses um, that in essence, are hostile uh, to the prosecution. You've mentioned this before on other interviews. You have a jury that is hostile to the prosecution. How do you think this case is going for, uh, for the prosecution? Well, the biggest problem for the prosecution is not the evidence. There is an abundance of evidence that shows uh, that Sussman did not reveal who he was representing and, in fact, said he wasn't representing anyone. Uh, so that seems quite clear, and the defense hasn't laid a glove on that evidence. Uh, so it stands largely uncontradicted. Uh, the problem they have is the judge and the jury. The judge has really narrowed the trial, has hit, hit uh, Durham with uh, some tough rulings. But the biggest problem is the jury. You have three do Clinton donors. Uh, on the jury. You have one juror whose daughter is playing on the same team with the daughter of Sussman. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, for a prosecutor, it really probably feels like a stacked jury. Does that mean they can't be impartial and cannot be fair? Of course not. They can be. But one of the things that Durham objected to is at least one juror seemed to struggle with the question of whether you could be impartial and only said that she felt she could you after know, she was assured that neither Clinton nor Trump would be tried. Jonathan, you know what? You can you can have um, a great case and a bad jury and you can lose those cases. Uh, we've all seen that. So listen, I got a quick run. We've got a heartbreak coming. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Uh, interesting <laughs> that in this world, in this country, the greatest country on the planet, known for having the best national constitution, the most comprehensive and the fairest in world history. Why, in Washington, D.C., in a federal court, Washington, D.C., which the seat of our government, is it, it's right there. In that court and in this environment, a judge would allow two jurors that donated to Hillary Clinton, her campaign. Her entire campaign is a subject of this case in their court. How that judge would let either one of those people sit on this jury is unconscionable. You just don't see that happen. So what does that demonstrate? Just exactly what I told you before we went into that last break. Democrats are making a choice. 
we're going to do as much damage as we possibly can do that will benefit us in political ways, maybe even personal ways, because we know we're going to be thrown out of office. That federal judge, by the way, has a lifetime, a lifetime on the court unless he retires or is impeached. Interesting. Federal judges don't run for office. They don't have election processes. They don't need to campaign. And that's principally why the federal court system is set up that way. So politics is supposed to be kept out of it. But what we see pretty often is politics goes everywhere and it reaches through every sector of our government, top to bottom. And of course, it definitely does across America. Now, what's the number one most important thing in our democratic process? Our election process. We all know that the probably most important thing of this Democrat Party that currently has a very slim majority in the House of Representatives, and they don't have a majority in the Senate, but they do have an edge because anytime there is a 50-50 tie between Republican and Democrat senators, the vice president, who is president of the Senate, cast a deciding vote. The vice president, of course, is Kamala Harris, and it's happened numerous times in legislation that goes to the Senate, and there's a tie. She cast the deciding votes to go the Democrat Party way. Well, elections are upon us. We've we've had numerous primary elections yesterday. There's some um, skullduggery going on out west in Nevada, And it's regarding Democrats interfering in Nevada's GOP gubernatorial primary. Now, their primary didn't happen yesterday. It happens June 12th. Democrat super PACs. Now, remember, there's the super PAC thing. What's the difference between a PAC? PAC stands for Political Action Committee and a super PAC. Well, PACs are set up to go raise money, period. And the big difference between a PAC and a super PAC And by the way, Congress created these differentiations. Congress is doing what they shouldn't be doing in this case, which is creating a system that gives them an edge when they run for office. Well, what kind of edge could they get? Not using a PAC, but using a super PAC. Super PACs, they go out and get contributions in far greater numbers than PACs do. And they do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, they can raise more money with less regulation. But number two, and this is the principal reason they do what they do, the names of their donors do not have to be reported. PACs, when they get contributions for specific causes or campaigns, they've got to reveal to the Federal Election Commission, they have to reveal the sources of those contributions. So what's going on? Well, Clark County Sheriff Lombardo, who Trump recently endorsed, he is running for governor, and he's running as a a Republican. Now, Clark County, that's the biggest county in the state. That is where uh, Las Vegas is. So as governor, here's what Joe Lombardo has promised. Says he will fiercely protect our under-siege Second Amendment, oppose sanctuary cities, support law enforcement, veto any liberal tax increase, protect life, secure our elections. 
Joe Lombardo was the leader that Nevada needs, and Trump said he has my complete and total endorsement for governor. But Democrats, they don't like that, and they think Lombardo's got a pretty good chance of winning the gubernatorial race. So what are they doing? They're going to drastic links to prevent him from securing the Republican nomination in the primary race coming up June 12th. They hope to boost weaker candidates they view as easier to beat in the general election. For example, A Strong Nevada is one of several newly registered super PACs that Democrats are using as a a guise of front to interfere in the Republican primary. That PAC has pledged to spend $2.1 million in Lombardo attack ads ahead of the June primary. A stronger Nevada has no social media presence or website, but is reportedly linked to the Democrat Governor Association. The PAC's two officers are Andrew Whalen and Jillian Edelman, both Democrat Party operatives. A stronger Nevada is not the only Democrat-run super PAC posing as Republicans to launch massive ad campaigns against Lombardo. Patriot Freedom Fund, another recently registered fake Republican PAC that is run by the husband of progressive anti-Second Amendment Nevada Assemblywoman Sandra Jagui. Patriot Freedom Fund sends mailers to Nevada Republicans falsely accusing Lombardo of being a weak-on-gun rights candidate. The PAC's mailers urge Nevada Republicans to vote for anyone but Lombardo. Looking into the structure of that Patriot Freedom Fund, its only listed officer is Truman Fleming, Assemblywoman Jagui's husband. Trump spokesman Taylor Bottowich told Breitbart News the links Democrats are going to are unsurprising because they know they have no shot at defeating this Trump-backed candidate in November. He said, President Trump endorsed Sheriff Joe because he's the strongest America First conservative in the race to defeat Nevada's anti-freedom radical Democrat Governor Steve Sisolak. It's no surprise that Democrats are trying to interfere in the Republican primary because they know they haven't got a shot at defeating a Trump-backed candidate this November. Unfortunately for the Democrats and rhinos, President Trump's endorsed candidate for governor will overcome these dirty tricks and win both the primary and the general election in landslides. Both a Stronger Nevada and Patriot Freedom Fund registered with Nevada's Secretary of State after the first quarter fundraising deadline. Timing is everything. That means that they could go 90 days and collect money in secret. As a result of the late registration, details about who is financially contributing to these endeavors will remain a secret until July 15th. That's a month after the Nevada primary elections. Isn't it interesting to think about and watch and see these things kind of happen? When you look at the election process, And when you look at the process of operating our federal government and you see how many twists and turns and the the really prevalent and legal things that can be done to manipulate, to hide certain bits of information, 
all the while fulfilling your objective to get to, in this case, which is raising a lot of money, a lot of money, and naming your PAC or super PAC so that everybody thinks it's a conservative operation when really it's not, it's exactly the opposite. And you're tricking people or you're trying to trick people into believing that what you say is truthful. When all they're doing is lying. They're lying. It's like the Lincoln thing. I forget the real name for it. It was a bunch of rhinos, R-I-N-O-S, which stands for Republicans in name only. And they put a group together and they supposed, supposedly are conservatives, but they raised millions of dollars in their pack. And it was for one purpose and one purpose only to try to keep Donald Trump from winning the presidency. Now this is America and we have laws that govern campaign processes. I get that. And we should, I got to be honest with you. It starts for me, this, this whole thing about money and politics, it starts with the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money and people in politics and money, eh, they don't mix very well. What it ends up being is people using dollars and cents along with bad information, lies, portraying things that aren't truthful. They use that to sway a general public that is automatically going to listen to what they're being told. And in many cases, that means they're just automatically going to accept it as fact. And these people are preying on that propensity of American people. They know people, when they hear things that are couched as truthful, often will believe what they hear. And that's all they care about. And they're using it for political purposes. We can't finish the day without looking back at yesterday. Progressive Republican AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She slammed House Democratic leadership support of incumbent Republican Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat down in Texas, in his district primaries runoff, calling it an utter failure. Now, what's this about? Well, AOC, she is not just a Democrat. She is a lefty, far left. And they call the far left, and I don't know where they get the name, but it it basically had to be to come up with a way to deflect the truth from people. When you see the term and a label of a person in politics as progressive, you would just automatically think, well, their policies and things they support are things that'll move us forward. They're progressive. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calls herself a progressive representative, but she is as far left as there is. Now, she slammed the Democratic leadership and the U.S. House of Representatives because they supported Representative Henry Cuellar in Texas. Why does she think that's wrong? Henry Cuellar is not far enough left for her. Now, instead of talking about policies, she jumped on the House Democrat leadership for what they did. And here's why. She argued it was wrong for leadership to support the centrist Quayar, given the threat to abortion rights from this upcoming Supreme Court decision that's expected to overturn Roe v. Wade. On the day of a mass shooting, 
And week after news of Roe, Democrat Party leadership rallied for a pro-NRA, any-choice incumbent under investigation in a close primary. Robocalls, fundraisers, all of it. Ocasio-Cortez, who is backing progressive Jessica Cisneros in the primary, said that in a tweet yesterday. Accountability isn't partisan. Well, it shouldn't be. (laughs) She said this was an utter failure of leadership. Her tweet follows an effort from establishment House Democrats to pull Cuellar over the finish line in his primary runoff against Cisneros. And just in case you wonder, in that primary, the election yesterday between the pair, they are neck and neck. I mean, within a thousand or so votes difference so far, the votes that have been counted. We'll keep our eyes on that for you. Well, let me remind you, I told you at the top of the show when we went through all of the stuff that we're dealing with now in the aftermath of the shooting, the mass shooting at Uvalde, tomorrow here we will publish as well as talk about a process that works in other places on earth to stop mass shootings specifically at schools. Instead of hollering and doing things based on pure partisan politics, we need to come up with a plan. And we can do it. We can do it together. You guys have a great day. Pray for those impacted directly in Uvalde. We'll see you tomorrow. Desperado Why don't you come to your senses You've been out riding fences For so long now Oh, you're hard one I know that you got your reasons These things that are pleasing you can't hurt you somehow Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy She'll beat you if she's able You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet Now it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table But you only want the ones that you can't get Desperado Oh, you ain't getting no younger Your pain and your hunger are driving you home And freedom People talking, your prison is walking through this world all alone. Don't your feet get cold in the winter time? Sky won't snow and the sun won't shine. It's hard to tell the nighttime from the day. sense.
fences Come down from your fences Open the gate It may be raining But there's a rainbow above you You better let somebody love you You better let somebody love you Before it's too late